Well, good morning, Athens First United Methodist Church. It is good to be with you on this third Sunday of the season of Advent. It is the Sunday of joy, and oh, do we have a lot to be joyful about this morning. Amen? Maybe nothing more so than our joy we feel in the leadership of our music ministry over the past three weeks. I mean, we started with lessons and carols, and I thought, it can't get any better than this. And then we had Messiah last week, and I thought, it can't get any better than this. And then this morning, our handbell choir shows up, and y'all just keep raising the bar. So can we offer them our thanks this morning? We are so appreciative. They have been working overtime. I'm giving y'all Christmas off this year, okay? <laughs> Not Christmas Eve, but Christmas Day, I'm giving you off. And... Uh, we are, we are incredibly grateful. It is a day of joy at Athens First. We have, uh, we have 23 people that will be joining our church at 11 o'clock. Of course, that's all dependent upon the sickness that's been going around. People apparently are dropping like flies, so we shall see. Uh, but we also have the opportunity to celebrate uh, all of the babies that have been born into the life of our church in the past year with our Baby Recognition Sunday, or as I like to think of it, a sneak preview of the graduating class of 2041. <laughs> but what a day of joy it is, and we are grateful that you are here to celebrate with us. So today we uh, continue in our, our Advent sermon series. It's called Awaiting the Manger. And what we've been doing over the course of these four weeks together is we've been looking at the promises of Advent. We've been looking at the promise of hope, peace, joy, and love, and we've been looking at especially how it is that not only we can experience them during the season of Advent, but how do we, how do we live them out? How do we share these promises with a world so desperately in need of hope, peace, joy, and love? This morning, I want us to look at this theme of joy. And to do so, I want us to, to read a passage of Scripture that comes from uh, Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start with verse 39. I'll read through verse 56. This is a story about when Mary has just gotten word about the baby she's going to give birth to. So she thinks, who can I tell? Where can I go that someone might possibly understand what I'm going through? She decides to go and to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Hear how Luke tells this story. Luke says, at that time, uh, Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And so Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary then stayed with Elizabeth for about three months before returning home. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my lips, meditations of all of our hearts here this morning be holy and acceptable in thy sight today and forever. Thou who art our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you were not here on Wednesday night, I need to let you know that you missed out on what was an epic Christmas celebration at Athens First United Methodist Church. Uh, Because on Wednesday night, we had our first annual tacky Christmas sweater competition during our Wednesday night supper. And can I just tell you that what I learned about our congregation that night is no one does tacky quite like we do. Because we had it all on Wednesday night. I mean, we, we, had, we had vintage tacky Christmas sweaters and homemade tacky Christmas sweaters. We had all kinds of pop culture uh, tacky Christmas sweaters, including SpongeBob and Star Wars and Pokemon and, uh, and Snoopy and everything in between. We even had something that I had never even seen before. We had battery-operated tacky Christmas sweaters which meant that, that, that when you turned on the switch, you would light it up. It literally illuminated the entire sweater with all of these different Christmas lights on it, which in my opinion was just so impressive because I felt like it took the tackiness to a whole new level. There are all kinds of tacky Christmas sweaters that were all around the building on Wednesday night. But if I had to tell you my favorite, It would be the tacky Christmas sweaters that were worn by a smattering of people who all had uh, different sweaters of the same design. They all featured this phrase, the Griswold family Christmas. Now, if you're unfamiliar, this is, of course, a reference to my all-time favorite Christmas movie, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Anyone else in the room? Okay, good, good. I I knew you had good taste, but this confirms it. So, if you've never seen this movie before, I will just tell you that the basic gist of the movie is it's about an all-American family from Chicago, Illinois. Their names are the Griswolds, and they decide that this Christmas, they're hosting their entire family at their house. And by their entire family, I mean both sides, all of the relatives, those who were invited, and of course, those who weren't invited, including, of course... Cousin Eddie shows up out of nowhere in his beautiful RV, which he decides to park in front of their house on the street. It's it's a beautiful moment, and uh, and, and they decide, the more the merrier, everyone's invited. Well, perhaps the funniest scene in the movie, at least in my opinion, uh, happens at the family Christmas dinner table. Uh, Because everybody is seated, and they're all getting ready to eat, and so they decide that, that perhaps the person who should offer the Christmas prayer, the Christmas blessing over the food, is the eldest member of the family. Her name is Aunt Bethany. But of course, Aunt Bethany is getting up there in years. She's a little confused by the request. She doesn't exactly know what they're asking her to do, but she agrees and finally says, fine, I'll do it. So they all bow their heads, 
And Aunt Bethany begins her prayer. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. I think the family was just as confused by the prayer as you just were, because they all look up and they look at each other and they go, amen, and then they all just, they start to dig in. Now, when it comes to Christmas prayers, I think we can all agree that Aunt Bethany gets bonus points for patriotism, right? But it's not exactly the most appropriate Christmas prayer that we've ever heard. But it does beg the question, so what is an appropriate Christmas prayer? Well, this morning I want to suggest that one option would be the prayer that we read this morning in Luke chapter 1. It's called the Magnificat, or as it may be listed in some of your Bibles as Mary's song. And the reason Mary sings this prayer uh, is because she has, according to Luke, just gotten some really life-changing news. In the story that happens just before the one we read, uh, Luke says that one day an angel of the Lord appeared, his name is Gabriel, and he shared with Mary what turns out to be the most earth-shattering news that's ever been shared, that she is going to give birth to a child, to a son, and he will be called Son of the Most High. In other words, Mary is going to give birth to the Messiah, which of course is great news. But there are some circumstances involved in the revealing of this good news that are less than ideal for Mary. There are some aspects to the story that I'm sure left Mary feeling quite unsettled. Because, of course, if, if you remember the story, you know that, that Mary is not married yet. She's only engaged to her fiancé, Joseph. Not only that, but she, she's still a virgin, which meant that this baby is not technically his. And so to be this young teenage girl, pregnant at a wedlock by a means other than her fiancé, well, let's just say that this, this was not the kind of news that I'm sure Mary was eager to share with anyone and everyone. It, this was not the kind of thing that she thought, I can't wait to post this to my Instagram story. Because Mary lived in a very Jewish first century world, which meant that it is very possible that within her sphere, this was considered scandalous. She, she would have been considered a disgrace and maybe even an outcast to her friends, to her family, to her community. And so the question is, what do you do in a situation like that? What, what do you do when you've received what is good news ultimately, but it's the kind of news that nobody around you could possibly understand? What do you do when you have no one around you to share it with? Well, according to Luke, uh, that's when Mary decided that she was going to go to the one place where she knew that she would be welcomed. The one place she knew she would be understood. The one place where she knew she wouldn't be judged. Mary went to her cousin Elizabeth's house, who, oh, by the way, was also 
six months pregnant with a baby of miraculous means. Luke says that Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist. And so it is that, that Elizabeth now has become this person, maybe the only person on planet Earth who could possibly understand what Mary's going through. So Mary makes a nine-day journey to her house. And Luke says that the moment that she walked through the door, from the moment she walked through that threshold, not only was she welcomed with open arms, but it was an experience of joy. Because Luke says that, that the baby in Elizabeth's womb literally leaped for joy. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth was so moved that she says to Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Blessed is she who has believed the promises that God has given her, who has believed that they will be fulfilled. In other words, this was a moment of pure joy for the both of them. This was a moment of pure celebration. And you can only imagine what Mary must have been feeling to finally go to a place where she's, she can finally be seen and heard and understood, where somebody can say, I know what you're going through. So overwhelming must this experience have been for Mary that Luke says that it prompted her to then pray the most famous prayer that has ever been prayed. Mary sang the Magnificat. And there's so much about this prayer. I want you to go home. I want you to read it. I want you to study each line. There's so much about this prayer that is just... Amazing. There's so much for us to learn about Mary's response to Elizabeth's words and, and, and her response to the good news of what was happening in her life. But what I want us to pay attention to are the very first words that she offers in the Magnificat. Because, because what Mary sings at the very beginning is this, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my faith, Savior. I don't know that I could think of a more appropriate way for Mary to begin her prayer, not only because the moment that they're in was born out of joy between she and, and Elizabeth and the babies leaping. I mean, it's, it's a moment of joy, to be sure. But I also think it's because it encapsulates the very essence of the Magnificat. That in every line, it is just oozing with, dripping with, it is bursting with biblical joy. Which is kind of odd when you think about it. Because the fact of the matter is, um, at this point in the story, nothing in Mary's life had actually changed. Meaning, it's not like she showed up at Elizabeth's house and then suddenly everything started to turn for the better. It's, it's not like she showed up at Elizabeth's house and like her life transformed into some kind of Disney movie where Elizabeth plays the role of like a fairy godmother who waves her wand and magically all of Mary's problems go away. No, Mary was still very much pregnant out of wedlock. 
She was still very much a, a, an outcast in her community and a disgrace to her family. She still had to go and talk to her, her fiance about what had happened to try to explain things who, oh, by the way, could also have put her to death lawfully and legally just by accusing her of adultery. In other words, Mary's problems didn't instantly go away. No, all that she was facing was just as daunting as it ever was. And yet, in spite of all of that, Mary prayed a prayer of joy. And do you know what that tells me about joy? It tells me that biblical joy, like that deep, profound sense of joy, that kind of joy is never circumstantial. It's never the kind of thing that has to happen only because life went the way we hoped it would or life went the way we wanted it to or life followed the prescribed script that we said, this is how we want things to go. Uh-uh. No, I think what Mary would tell us is that joy can even be found in our lowest of lows because real joy is transcendent. Meaning that real joy is not dictated by our situation or our circumstance or the current state of things. No, real joy transcends all of that stuff because real joy is rooted in hope. And that's what this entire prayer is from beginning to end. It is Mary expressing her hope in what God is doing and what God will do. God, Mary is basically saying, God, I trust that you are at work. Even though I can't see you, I trust that you are at work and that you're up to something and that your purposes will be fulfilled. Advent joy, when it's the real thing, is rooted in hope. Because as the great Desmond Tutu once said, hope is being able to see that there is light even despite the darkness. Th that is the essence of Mary's Christmas prayer. And that is, in my opinion, the essence of the Christmas story. That, that's why we can never hear the Christmas story too often because it is a reminder to us that God does God's greatest work often when we're least expecting it. I mean, to think that, that, that the Roman Empire was at its strongest, that Caesar was on Caesar's throne, that, that life on planet Earth looked pretty bleak, and yet it was in that very moment that God was at work in the womb of a young teenage girl named Mary to bring us the Savior of the world to bring us the hope of the world. All Advent joy is rooted in hope because hope recognizes the presence of God. To say it another way, joy is not found in the absence of problems. Real joy is found in the presence of God. Now, a couple years ago, I, I was um, 
using one of those uh, Christmas devotional books. I don't know if you've, you've ever used one of those, but it was, a, it was a guideposts book that had all kinds of stories from different authors, and some of them were good and some of them weren't, but I do remember there was one story by an author named Elizabeth Sherrill, and in it she tells the story about this friendship that she had forged uh, back in, in, in many, many years ago uh, with a, a gentleman from Shanghai, China. His name was Dr. Li. She said, Dr. Li had come to our country uh, to study medicine, and after he was done with med medical school, he went back to Shanghai, where he began his medical practice. But she said, we, we maintained our friendship over the years, and she said, Dr. Li and his family were some of the most faithful Christians you ever met. I mean, just so sweet, such good-hearted followers of Jesus. And, and she said, I can remember there were times when they would tell us about their experience back home, and he said that some of his fondest memories were at his church on Christmas Eve. <laughs> he said that we would gather together inside our, our church building, and it was there that we would light candles, and we would sing carols, and we would pray Christmas prayers, and, and we would take communion together. He said some of the holiest, most sacred moments of my life happened on Christmas Eve when I was gathered with my church family. Well, that, of course, was all before the communist revolution in China, because after that took place, as you probably know, uh, churches were locked up. They literally padlocked them, made sure nobody could go inside, and it was against the law for Christians to gather together in public and to worship. And so on Christmas Eve, 1959, Dr. Lee said that he was coming home from a really long shift at the hospital. It was one of those 12-hour days. And he said, I was walking home, and it was also one of those nights where it was just bitterly cold. You know, the, the kind of day where you really don't want to be outside. You'd rather be inside by the fire with your family. So I, he said, I was really looking forward to getting home. But when I did, he said, I saw my family. And I could just tell by the looks on their faces that something wasn't the same. It was Christmas Eve, but we weren't experiencing Christmas joy. And so what we decided to do, in spite of the weather, in spite of the fact that we knew it would be locked when we got there, we decided as a family to walk to where our church building was, to bring some candles, and we would light them. And then together as a family, we would pray a Christmas prayer. We knew we weren't going to be allowed to get in, but maybe just being outside of our church might spark some memory of joy and hope. So that's what they did. They made their way down to their church. But when they got there, they said, we could not believe our eyes. What we, what we were met with is something that we were not expecting because there were several hundred other church members who had had the same idea. And they all were gathered in a circle around that church and they had candles, and they were holding hands, and they were singing, and there was joy. And he said, for the next 22 years, that became our Christmas Eve tradition. In spite of the fact that it was padlocked, we couldn't get in. We would gather at the church, and we would sing songs of hope and joy and love and peace, and we would light candles and pray Christmas prayers. And he said, when I think about those days, it brings me unspeakable joy. Because what that experience helped me with, what it reminded me of, is the truth that although there are powers in principalities, 
that could keep us from coming in. Those powers can never prevent him from coming here. You know, that, that's the Christmas story in a nutshell. That even when powers conspired against him, God sent us the Savior of the world. God sent us the hope of the world right when we needed it most and perhaps when we were expecting it least. So here's my question to you this morning. What is your Christmas prayer? Like we only have one more week left. I mean, it's it. Christmas Eve next Sunday. It's Christmas Day on Monday. So what are you praying for? Or what are you praying about? And is it a Christmas prayer of joy? If it is, and you're praying about joy, my hope is that you might be willing to share that joy. Because I am here to tell you that we live in a world that desperately is in need of real joy this Christmas season. And perhaps the only way they will ever receive it is if we have the faith and the courage with which to share it. Desmond Tutu once said, hope is being able to see the light despite all the darkness. I would argue that joy is being the light in spite of all the darkness. And my Christmas prayer is that that's what all of us would be in the coming days, that we would be some small spark of light in a world full of darkness that others might experience joy. Because our joy is always rooted in hope. And it is a reminder to us that even when it may not seem like God is at work, that God is in our midst, and that God's purposes will prevail. And even in spite of our circumstances, we can find joy because God does his greatest work when we're least expecting it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.